Wilson, you sent the game-winning email at the buzzer, avoiding a 4.55 meeting on everyone's calendar. How did you do it? I got a huge assist from Grammarly, an AI writing partner that helped me make my point. 96% of Grammarly users say that it helps them craft more impactful writing. Would you agree? Grammarly helped adjust my tone to navigate tough work conversations. And it works everywhere I write, so I can quickly communicate effectively. Your teammate used Grammarly to summarize an important document, making a three-pointer. How did he do it? It only took one click. When everyone uses Grammarly, everything just makes sense. You made an incredible slam dunk to end the game. The meeting was canceled, and your team will go home champions. Go to Grammarly.com slash podcast to download it for free. That's Grammarly.com slash podcast. Easier said, done. Good day, everyone. This is Tony Moskal with your high school sports podcast on the Believe Podcast Network, Los Angeles' number one sports podcast network. The only place with a show for everyone. We believe in our teams. Do you believe? With pro sports on the horizon, we all have hope that things will get back to what we once knew. Speaking of going back to the past, I know many of you enjoy the Friday night barrage of high school football on Fox Sports and Prep Zone. Joining me this week is someone who probably doesn't hold any school records in any sport, but he was there for the start of high school football on Fox way back in 1995 when it all started. The first play-by-play voice of high school football in Southern California, Jim Watson. Wally, thanks for taking the time to join me here. I think somewhere in the Foothill High School analog, you can go back and find out that I shot 92% from the free throw line during an entire season. Now, that sounds like a lot, but I only shot 14 free throws that year. Yeah, but you made him count. I did. I used to come. I, that was in the days you could come off the bench to shoot the tee. You know, and and you were the guy. There weren't a lot. Of, there wasn't a lot of call for a for a five six one hundred eighteen pound point guard, who I, who by the way couldn't shoot, uh, had bad decision making, and was lazy on defense, or as my coach called me, the triple threat. What were your three threats? <laughs> I, th- I threatened that I'd come back next year. <laughs> that was the one. That was enough. Oh man! Hey, you you've been broadcasting sports for a long time. Nineteen ninety one. And how'd you get started in this? I was a bartender. Isn't that how everyone starts? <laughs> um, so you're watching a game, serving up gin and tonics, and and you're calling the game, right? So I'm behind the bar, and I was a bartender for nine years, and you know, obviously, gift of gab, and I could talk to anybody. And one of the promotions managers for this restaurant chain, it was called Baxter's, heard me. We had never met. He was in there doing something with one of the DJs, like at a during a happy hour, and the DJ booth was next to the bar. And he heard me talking up a bunch of my customers and telling jokes and ringing the bell and flipping my ice scoop. and And he walked over to me and he goes, "Who are you?" And I said, "What are you talking about? Who are you?" And we talked for a minute. He goes, "Do you want to be a DJ?" And I said, I, "Yeah, I don't know anything about music." And he said, "Well, I just like that you can talk into a microphone, get a crowd excited." So we talked for a little bit. And he said, look, we got this thing. We're, we're thinking about doing turtle races in the bar and we need somebody to do it. So you could do it during your bartending shift. You just come out. It takes 30 minutes. We rent turtles to the, to the drunks, two bucks to get a turtle. You can name it anything you want. Five turtles in a heat. The winners move on to the finals. Winner of the finals gets a bottle of champagne and dinner for two. And I'd stand up there in a t-shirt that said Baxter's turtle races with a stuffed uh, animal turtle on my head, sewed into a hat uh, and, and wearing green pants. Now, where would you get green pants, Tony? 1984. I was a pool reporter for fencing and volleyball at the LA summer Olympics at the long beach uh, arena. And they would, they gave out uh, to the volunteers colorful uniforms and they were awful. It looked like, like Star Trek clothes. (laughs) <laughs> and mine were green because I just happened to be in media. Media was green so that because of all the language issues, you could tell who what department someone belonged to by the color of the clothes. So anyway, I did turtle races for several years, uh, most of them illegally because you can't have live animals in a place that you make food and and made some money at it. But I learned to speak in front of a crowd. And from that, one of my uncles um, was working camera 
on Laguna Beach High School football, and they needed an announcer. Uh, I came down. I sat in a beach chair. I held a microphone that was plugged into the camera that was right next to me, and I called the game holding a program in my hand. A couple of times, my uncle couldn't make it. I actually uh, put on a headset and worked the camera while I called the game, and I have the roster on a music stand. All of this on top of a, a windy, creaky press box in um, in Laguna Beach overlooking the ocean uh, for a bad football team. But one of the very first games I ever called against Capo Valley, uh, they had a left-handed quarterback named Todd Marinovich. Marinovich. <laughs> so, you know, and so I started doing it, and I was freaking awful. But they weren't paying me, so we both had a an agreement to keep it going. Uh, the next year I was a little less awful, and then I ended up going to college and. At college, I get a, a job uh, internship in Southgate, which is uh, in downtown LA. It's next to Compton and Downey. Uh, what a great place to learn. Uh, it, the cable system there was fantastic. Uh, and I became their football, basketball, baseball announcer. I had a, a talk show with a high school football coach and one with a basketball coach once a week. Uh, and what was great about this is that it was this melting pot of all these different cultures and the football team had never been any good. And I got there and they won 23 games in a row and won the city championship. You're a good luck charm. They didn't lose for two years. And, and I was, you know, sitting up in the press box, they completely accepted me. And I learned all kinds of things that I didn't learn growing up in Orange County about people and, and cultures and downtown LA and, and broadcasting and high school football and, uh, I mean, it was it was an unbelievable stroke of luck that I ended up in that place at that time. And through that, uh, ESPN noticed this high school football team not losing for two years and invited me to uh, help work on a show called Scholastic Sports America. Okay, and that was De La Salle, right? Uh, no, I was doing, I was doing all kinds of things. Uh, I was doing stories on individual athletes and stories on big programs in Southern California. And this would have been 1989, okay. 90. So just getting out of college, going to work and trying to get a job and, and never got a broadcasting job. So then I, I went and worked at E Entertainment Television selling well first i went and worked on the tonight show with johnny carson for three years and that was great and i got that job as a bartender too a bartender that i worked with his girlfriend was a page at nbc she and i got to be friends she said you should do this so i went up and i was a page at nbc to this day tony it's still the only job that has ever checked my high or, uh, excuse me college diploma and degree they're the only ones ever called usc and checked uh, because whenever anybody calls to, for real, when everybody, when anybody ever calls your university to check on your degree, your school by law has to tell you about it. So that's how I know they're the only ones that ever checked on it. Everyone else just took my word for it. I could have saved a lot of money. Yeah, I I could have told people I went to Harvard. So so I went so I went to I went, I went to uh, uh, to the Tonight Show and I worked there for three years. I left right when Johnny Carson left and Jay Leno was taken over and. And on another show, I'll give you 20 stories about working on The Tonight Show. And uh, I started working in sales at NBC, selling commercial time for the 1988 Seoul Olympics. And from there, one of the vice presidents of sales spun over and went to E! Entertainment Television. She took me with her to sell time. I did it for about six months. I just did not like it. Got another internship working at the Orange County News Channel, 24 hours news, weather, and sports. Started working there for free as an editor and a cameraman and a producer. And on weekends, I would come in and go shoot high school football games with a handy cam, bring it back to the studio, edit it, and put the highlights in the air for the for the sportscaster to read. And after a while, the guy said, you know, you're better at this than me. Why don't we hire you as a reporter? And I started my, my career officially then getting paid to cover sports on television. And that would have been 1991. Wow. How did you find your way to Fox? Or I, I don't know if it was prime ticket back then. I think it was Fox. Well, funny, funny you say that because I tried to screw that up. 
So I'm sitting in the sports department and at OCN, of course, you know, it was a, it was a cable station for all of Orange County, 24 hours started by a guy named Ken Tiven, who was one of the guys who helped start CNN. And his vision was every town would have one of these hyper local 24 hour stations covering everything right down the street from your house. And he was actually way ahead of his time. Uh, it caught on a lot of places. Uh, NY one in New York does it. And, um, there's a couple of them back East and, and, uh, in Florida, I think there's one still, but they just never, it never spread because the internet came in and kind of blew everything out. So, um, I'm sitting in the sports department one night getting ready to go out and shoot. Now you're a one man band at a place like this. I'm anchoring, but I also have to report that night. So I have to go out and cover a game, shoot it, you know, bring highlights back, edit it, put on my own makeup, tie my tie, jump in front of the camera and, and do my sports cast. You know, you're all by yourself. So I'm getting ready to leave and I was out, uh, on my way to go cover something. Let's just imagine it was a, a high school I guess it would have been what uh, college baseball is played in the springtime. So it would have been maybe a high school basketball game, maybe. And uh, the phone's ringing and I'm thinking, I don't want to answer that. I'll just let it go to voicemail. I'd rather take this 10 minutes that I'm, I have right now before the, the game I have to go cover and go to Togo's and get a sandwich so I can eat today. Uh, <laughs> but then I thought, no, you got to be a professional. And I walked over and picked up the phone. And I say, hi, you know, OCN Sports, this is Jim Watson speaking. What can I do for you? And this guy says, hey, Jim, how are you? Um, uh, and he tells me his name and where he's from. And he says, I was wondering if I could get a reel from you. Well, immediately, and I don't know why, I thought, I'm at this time, I'm covering Cal State Fullerton baseball, number one in the nation. Uh, Jeremy Giambi and D.C. Olsen and... Uh, Mark Kotze and all these guys at, at Cal State Fullerton. Augie Garrido's the coach. George Horton is the assistant coach. Now he's at University of Oregon. Augie's at Texas. You know, these guys went on to, um, they're all Hall of Famers now. So Cal State Fullerton was ranked number one in the country. So when this guy says he's from a station in Los Angeles and he wants highlights, he wants a reel, I think he's talking about Cal State Fullerton because I shot all of their games. And they were a big team in town. We put it on our uh, highlights on our station. We'd have their players and coaches in studio for talk shows. So I just said, yeah, okay, what do you want on it? Do you want you want some Kotze stuff and DC Olsen hitting home runs and Giambi flashing the leather at first? And, you know, he says, what are you talking about? And I said, well, you, you're like the third LA station. I think Rogan had called me and Hill had called me for highlights of the number one team in the country, right? Because nobody's coming down to cover Cal State Fullerton baseball in those days. So I said to the guy, don't you want – highlights of, of Cal State Fullerton, their number one, is that, is that what you're calling about? And he said, no, I asked you for a reel. I want your resume reel. <laughs> and I said, who are you? And he said, my name's Jeff Proctor. I work at Fox Sports. Oh God. And he said, I, a guy that works for me gave me your name. And I said, who gave me your name? Who gave you my name? And he said, Gary Paskowitz. <laughs> And these are names that some some of your listeners might recognize right away. Jeff Proctor, maybe the nicest guy I've ever known and worked with and for in sports television, just a, a prince of a human being. A phenomenal and, human being. And Gary Paskowitz, who helped start high school football on Fox Sports and and uh, had a website called wersc.com, uh, which was one of the early forerunners in that field and built that thing up to where Pete Carroll would call him for recruiting advice. And uh, unfortunately, Gary passed recently, one of one of the great losses. And I owe probably half my career to Gary Paskowitz. So I, I said, yeah, I'll get you a reel. And he said, you got a reel? And I said, of course. And, and of course, I had no reel. And, but the first thing you learn in sports television is to lie. And, right. and so I said, I have a reel. And he said, well, can you get it to me? And I said, you bet. I said, I'm on my way out to a game. I'll, I'll, I'll mail it tonight or tomorrow morning. He said, great, thanks. And uh, so hung up, went out, covered my game, came back, did my sports cast, and then sat down at 11 o'clock at night and worked till 5 o'clock in the morning going through tape after tape after tape at the station, digging through highlights and old sports cast to where I didn't look like a, a complete fool and showed some ability, put it onto a reel. It was much too long. I gave him like 35 minutes. They're going to watch two. <laughs> You know, they just want to see if you can form a sentence and and without drooling down your chin. So I put this whole thing together and I was so excited. I said, I know I'm, I'm going to impress him. I wrote my cover letter. I put it in a nice little package. And then I got in my car at five o'clock in the morning in Orange County and drove all the way 
to Santa Monica uh, and drove to Fox, talked my way through the guard gate, then got to a locked door and there was a guard in the lobby. He came over and I said, hey, I'm supposed to deliver this tape. Uh, He said, well, we we don't open the doors for another hour and a half. I said, well, it's supposed to be in here. and I got to get going. And he said, well, I'll take it. I said, no, no, I'm supposed to deliver it personally to this guy. Well, no one's here. Well, I want to put it on his desk. The guy took pity on me or just wanted to get rid of me. He said, fine. He unlocked the doors. I went down the hallway looking at nameplates, saw Jeff Proctor, went in, put it on his desk, was so excited, you know, jumped back in my car, drove all the way home, got home at what, seven or eight o'clock in the morning. And then I sat by the phone thinking he's going to walk in, see it, be so impressed that I got it sitting on his desk, personalized letter to him, tape. This will be great. I'll really impress him. And the phone never rings. All day. I stay home all day. The next day, nothing. The next day, finally, about one in the afternoon, my phone rings. It's Jeff Proctor. And I said, oh, I was worried, man. I, I, I put it there a couple of days ago. I didn't, you know, kind of what took you so long? And he said, it was the weekend. <laughs> yeah. So he knew right away he wasn't he wasn't dealing with a rocket scientist. Oh, and he said, "We saw your stuff. We like it. Do you want to be our new high school football announcer?" So you you get into that, and now whose idea was it for them to start doing high school football? And did you ever envision it being like what it was? You guys rolling up with this big truck, and people are in awe of everything that's going on. I did in this sense at OCN, we covered high school football too. Now, when we started the station, all we did is a sports cast and we did it like three times a day. But the, the thing that people wanted to see were high school football highlights. So then we started, instead of just doing a, you know, five minute sports cast with highlights from two big games. Then we started doing a 30 minute show on Friday nights with a lot more highlights that became a one hour show with nothing but highlights. And we would cover 15, 16 games. And there were four or five of us. We would give handy cams to interns and they would go shoot shaky, you know, Zabruder video of, of, you know, of high school football games. And we, then we found out games, some games started at seven o'clock in some leagues, seven 30 in another league. So we'd pick a game, a seven o'clock game. We knew it was going to be a blowout. You go and shoot three early touchdowns in that game. And then when it gets to halftime, you race to the other game and you shoot the second half of the 730 game. So one person could cover two games. So we we did this show and this show became wildly popular. And the, the sponsors lined up for this because they don't want to cover news because news is talking about murders and fires. And here we are talking about high school football. What's more All-American than that? So we did this whole high school football show and it, it was so big that after a year or two, then the management said, why don't we start covering games live? So we started doing games out of small cable trucks about the, the size of like an Amazon delivery van, and which is ironic because now that's the size of all the TV production trucks. They've all gotten small again. And we started doing these games and with, you know, two or three cameras and bad replay machines. And, you know, we're all wearing awful tweed coats with patches on the elbows and we all have mustaches and and our hair's too long, you know, it's, you know, it's Anchorman, basically. Right. And, uh, and the, the ratings were huge. People loved us. And I'm telling you, I couldn't imagine uh, getting recognized as much as I, anywhere I went in town, I was getting recognized for doing high school football games because it was a novelty. It was, it was new. It was exciting. It was raw. We made mistakes. You know, it was fun. People rooted for us. We were the underdogs. And, um, so I saw it catch fire down here. We were doing modern day games with 8,000 people at the Santa Ana Bowl. So I saw it. I already knew it existed. And you know who else saw it was Gary Paskowitz. He lived in Newport Beach. And Gary and I were classmates at USC. And we ran into each other at a couple of games. He saw me calling games. He would go home and watch games that we were doing and heard me. So when he went to Fox, you know, Fox approached him as one of the guys to help coordinate the launch of high school football. And they said, uh, you know, went through all the, the particulars. And they said, how about an announcer? And he goes, I got a guy. And and Gary and I went to USC together and there's the Trojan family thing. And Gary said, I really wanted wanted a Trojan to get it. So he, he you know, called me and 
that are called Proctor. And then they called me and that's how that started. And that's how JJ got the gig too. John Jackson, another Trojan, another guy who went to school with us and another guy who knew uh, Gary Paskowitz. Yeah. I noticed that when, when I came along helping you guys out as a spotter, there, there was a heavy, heavy SC influence. And, and, you know, in, in these politically correct times, man, you're lucky that didn't really offend me. <laughs> what, 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 what are you, Northridge guy? Is that where you I'm went? Northridge guy. Yeah, I did. Seasun, yeah. baby. Seasun all day long. Yeah. Me, me and McGee, baby. <laughs> my Chris McGee, one of my all time faves. <laughs> yeah. You know, so when, when I went to Fox, I kind of knew, I, you know, we were so stupid. You know, we didn't re- realize we could fail. And, you know, you're going to Fox and I remember how excited and nervous I was when I, you know, got the call, you know, from the, you're, you're going to the show, kid, you know, and I was going to do high school football, but now it's on Fox. Now it's a real thing. You know, now I can embarrass my family with one word. So when, when I went up there, you know, I kind of already knew high school football was really popular and I just figured it would work. I mean, I don't really consciously remember ever worrying about it. Um, and you know, we went and did our first game and there were articles in the newspaper that Fox is bringing their college football truck, the same one they're going to use at the UCLA game to Notre Dame High School in Sherman Oaks on Friday night. And they're going to televise a high school football game live. And well, we'd already been doing it in Orange County for five years. So to me, it wasn't that big of a leap, but because it was now on Fox and not just a local cable system, you know, and had a far reaching audience. It was new, it was exciting. I remember getting calls from some of the guys, the LA Times, the Orange County Register, the Valley, uh, was it Daily News in the Valley? And, you know, all these guys, hey, are you excited about it? What do you expect? And all this. And I was thinking, haven't you guys been to a high school football game? It didn't seem so new to me, but I, I didn't understand that I was stepping onto a much bigger stage. And thank goodness that I didn't know that. Um, the downside of not knowing is I would have gotten a decent haircut. <laughs> it was the late nineties, you know, hey, so you guys roll up to Notre Dame high school. I, I don't believe they had a press box back then. No, they did not. And so you're sitting somewhere in the stands, you got this big truck. You're probably around a lot of the parents and stuff. Yep. And I think Notre Dame at that time had their stands all on one side. They had no visitors stands. That's right. And these people are probably walking up to you going, who are you guys? What are you doing? Wow. Look at all this stuff. This is really cool. Was, was that kind of surprising for you or was it kind of expected that people were going to have a lot of questions and try and find out what was really going on? People cared so little who we were. They were actually moving our equipment to sit down, <laughs> but, but I have to back you up because the tradition started that night. JJ, Gary Paskowitz, myself all met three hours before the game on cold water right next to the freeway at Jack's classic burgers. And that's where we met for dinner and talked over some storylines and things like that. Then we went to the game and yeah, we get there and you know, these are the days when, you know, you you could roll onto a high school campus, the gates weren't locked and all that, but they didn't tell the custodians or maybe a couple of hired security guards who we were. And there's always, you guys can't park here. And what are you doing? Why you can't plug into the outlets at the school? And we're like, no, we're doing TV. Who are you? Uh, you know, and they call the vice principal at home to see if it was okay. And, you know, it was very, you know, we were professional. I mean, this was a Fox TV truck. Again, the same way they're doing college football. And these guys on the truck, these are real technicians. These guys are making a living doing this. But now they're, you know, they're in this little pond now. They're on a high school campus who's just not used to, to handling this. And so there were some some clumsy and awkward moments, but nobody nobody tried to stop us. They were just, "Who are you? And what are you doing here? And you, you well, you're not supposed to park there, and you know that kind of thing." And then JJ and I found our way up to this t- folding table, you know, uh, on top of a I guess it w- would have been uh, a coach's press box, you know, just for coach to view the game from or shoot film from. And we get up there, and there's no light, and the wind's blowing, you know, and we're trying to tape our stuff down and, and the numbers are wrong. And, you know, we don't know how to pronounce people's names. You know, it, it, it had a recipe to go sideways quickly. 
But I remember they called us down to do the open, the very first on-camera open. And every game starts. Anybody who's ever watched a, a single game in their lives on TV, this is where the two knucklehead talking head you know, sock puppets come on camera and tell you you can't miss this game. And we talk about player A and player B. You know, player A for the visiting team and player player B for the home team. And, you know, it's going to be a great one. We'll see after that. And the two guys we we featured in our open were Justin Vargas, running back for uh, Notre Dame, who was on his way to Michigan and was also uh, one of the fastest sprinters in the state of California. And here's here's the fun fact, son of Huggy Bear from, Huggy Bear from, from Starsky, Starsky and Hutch. And then we have this other kid that we – highlight and from an Alamany was the visiting team. And I don't remember who the kid was, but about the third series of the game, alamany has got the ball in this quarterback as a sophomore and he slings this dart across the middle and hits a guy in the chest for like 24 yards. And I, I looked at JJ and he, you know, JJ is a receiver. So, you know, that's just a, that's, that's just candy on a vine for him. You know, to see a ball thrown like that by a high school kid and a sophomore. And we both looked down at our roster and we're like, Casey Clausen. Okay. <laughs> you know, and then I hear the PA announcer say Clausen. I'm like, I guess I'll go with him. And, and then, you know, we got to know who Casey Clausen was and Casey to, to this day is still one of my favorite high school athletes because he was just a really nice guy and just a tremendous kid and a great athlete, of course, and went on to all kinds of things. Still a very nice kid. But Justin Fargus was the reason we covered the game. He was a big-name kid. He was the best running back in the country. And he didn't uh, disappoint. And early in the first quarter, he gets a handoff, uh, five yards deep, goes off tackle, a nice little trap block, finds a seam, runs over a linebacker, straight arms a cornerback, gets to the chalk, and high steps 30 yards into the end zone. And if you go back and look at the highlight, he runs right past two, uh, let's call them husky, Gentlemen in cargo shorts, Gary Paskowitz, and some nobody named John Hefner. Oh gosh! Oh god, that's aw- that's awesome. And you know, we we talk about Gary Paskowitz, and Max Preps wasn't around back then, right? And you know, and I know, since I've gotten involved in broadcasting, how important your notes are, how important your stats are, how important all of that that information is. Where did you guys get your information and how instrumental was Gary in helping you gather anything that you guys had? It was all Gary. And you know this because you call games. People will say to you, oh, you, it must be so easy doing high school as opposed to pro or college games. Oh, yeah. In reality, yeah. It's, it's inverted. You know, it's easiest to call an NFL game because there's so much information and so much film and you have so many cameras and you're so close and you know so much. And then a little less in college, but you still have a sports information department and they're giving you all kinds of stuff and their games are all televised. You get to high school, they don't have anybody doing notes. Nobody knows how to pronounce kids' names. There's no video of these kids. You know, we had never seen anybody until they put the ball on the tee and we didn't know how to say anything. So Gary would go or call the coaches on Monday and Tuesday and maybe go to a practice. And then he put together a little package for us with some stories and who the starters are and the people who really want to be prepared for. And even then it was, it was bare bones, but thank goodness for Gary Paskowitz or it never would have worked. You know, he had the foresight because this is what he did is go out and scout talent and report and boil it down. So, you know, what's he run a 40 and what's he bench What's his shuttle? What did he throw for last year? Uh, why is he better this year? All things that when we talk about it on the air, make the broadcast much better. Now, what's great is because we're doing a local high school game, the bar was set pretty low. People didn't really expect us to tell all these you know, personal stories. But as we did it more and more, and then I had been a reporter, so I would go down and talk to coaches you know, two hours before the game while everybody's stretching out on the field, walk over and talk to the quarterback and find out, you know, his nickname and that he went to uh, elementary school with a wide receiver and, you know, they've known each other forever and had sleepovers and that kind of stuff, just in conversation. And then, and you know this because you do this too, is sometimes you don't even write something down and you, it's, it's gone. But then during the game, the kid makes a play and you go, wow, I remember that thing he told me. And then you bring it out. It just comes out, you know, almost organically. It just, 
it just, you know, blooms from your throat, you know, uh, uh, some nugget that he gave you on the field three hours ago that you thought was a throwaway. And now you're using it on the air. And later someone will come up to you in a mall and go, that was a great story you told about that kid. And that started to tell me, this is what people like. They want three-dimensional athletes, not two-dimensional athletes. And, you know, ESPN has built their brand on this now. Get to know the athlete and you care more. And, you know, I stumbled into that and that's how we started telling it because these are literally hometown heroes. And how many of us played high school sports and never went anywhere beyond that? So pardon to Bruce Springsteen, those are our glory days, right? We remember them. They were so important to us. And now you can relate sitting on your couch, you know, with your Tostitos and your, your diet Mountain Dew and you're 38 and you got... Uh, a wife who doesn't talk to you and two kids who don't talk to you. And you look up and you go, I played on that field. And I remember what it was like to run out from under those creaky bleachers, you know, on a Friday night to an off tune band. And it was everything in the world to me. So it, I think it became personal and intimate for viewers. And the irony of the whole thing, Tony, is that they, all the high schools thought we were going to kill their gate. They thought, well, nobody's going to come to the game if it's on TV. Well, they, doubled their gate because everybody came to the game to be on TV because yeah, we man. pointed our cameras at the crowd. Yeah. Your, your student section, they all wanted to be on. So, yeah, it was, so it was, but that first night is, is still kind of a blur, but I still have like flashcards in my mind. I remember certain things about it. And then when we, we finished, we all went out and we found some, I don't know, a Chili's or a Red Robin somewhere. And we sat down and, you know, got a sandwich and a, and probably a cold draft. And we looked at each other and we said, well, that happened. You know, now what? And we had a game scheduled the next week. We just kind of hoped it would, you know, they were going to go forward with it. And the next, you know, next day, it all, the process started all over again. Gary called, called the next two, uh, the next two coaches and started getting notes from those guys. And uh, away, away we went. That's, that's my, uh, that's my three-year-old Macy who uh, is, is, is putting in a cameo. There you go. Macy's not shy and she'll be the next mouthy Watson to join the world. <laughs> so. so what were the, you know, did you ever envision it being what it is today where, you know, you still got the, the Fox game on Friday night, but now the prep zone games are four internet games and, and people can watch all of this stuff from anywhere in the world. You know, I was so wrapped up as I often am in myself. Um, I, I didn't look at that big picture, but but it doesn't surprise me, and it didn't surprise me then that we had success. Never, never for an instant did I take any credit for this. You could have put you could have put a talking monkey in the booth, and people would have watched the games because of the things I just talked about. So. Honestly, when I when I was going to college and taking broadcasting classes, and I was in a program at USC called SPIN, Sports Information, where we literally had broadcast classes, sportscasting classes, where you check out a tape recorder and a pair of headsets and go over to Dado Field and sit down without ever telling anybody, just go sit in the press box and grab a roster and call a baseball game. But I could, because it was SC and they had the Coliseum, the Raiders were playing there. I could go do a um, a Clippers game at the sports arena. Uh, I could call SC football games on Saturday if I wanted to, because I was a student, they made room for me in a press box. So I called 150 games when I was in college. So, you know, I get into this and I'm doing this and I feel like, okay, I kind of have a foot into it. I, I think I'm doing okay. This would be great if I could do this for five years before I, I have to go sell Amway products. And it just kept, it just kept getting better and better. But like I said, I had seen modern day football crowds of five, six, 8,000 people when I was working at OCN. So to see the crowds get up to two and 3,000 people out at Taft and, you know, places where they hadn't really drawn a lot and the players started to know who we were. And then we started a magazine show called, called Inside Cal High Sports. And uh, Mark Walton was the genius behind that, maybe the most talented guy I've ever worked with in television. Uh, would shoot. He had a film background, another SC guy. He went to film school at SC. So he shot sports video like film. I mean, he thought of everything like a story. Then he would go back and edit it, put all these effects on it, music and lighting. And the stuff was just beautiful. And and the show he produced, this magazine show, won five Emmys in six years, beating the Lakers and the Dodgers in the same category, a high school magazine show. Really? Uh, so you could tell there was an appetite. 
a long way to answer your question. It was there. You know, we were feeding the pigeons. That's what we were doing. We were just throwing out peanuts in the park every Friday night and they were eating them. So every week we'd bring more peanuts. So it wasn't like an overnight thing, but I'd already seen it on a small scale in Orange County. So I I could say, no, I wasn't surprised. Uh, and I love still when I stumble across a high school game, whether it be on, on Fox still, or when I'm traveling across the country, I remember being in Salt Lake city. I was there doing gymnastics for the PAC 12 network and I'm in my room studying and I flick on the, the uh, TV and I'm just going around to see what's going on. And I see a high school football game. I'd never heard of either school. Neither of them are ranked. Maybe a couple guys on the field are going to play college football. Tony, I watched the whole thing. I couldn't turn it off. It was fun. You know, they're showing the cheerleaders and the band and the crowd. And I was like, this takes me back to when I called it to when I, I went to high school and played it and sat in those bleachers and to watch those kids, you know, and it's like the greatest moment of their life. They score a touchdown on television when you're 16 years old. Come on. And, and for us, going out and doing the game and seeing that is, is almost as much fun. Yes. And, and, and to, to put a bow on, on the story, when I said I was, when I was at SC and they, they taught us a couple of things, uh, Roy Engelbrecht was my, one of my teachers, Ted Brock, uh, Larry Knuth. These guys were all great teachers at USC. One of the very first things they taught me was it's not about you. You are here as landscaping. People are watching this picture. You are the soundtrack. And, and so don't make it about you. Don't say I, you know, just call the game, be respectful of the players and take it seriously, but not yourself. And, and that's, that's how I approached it. And I would never in a hundred years compare myself to Vin Scully, but having grown up in Southern California and listening to him and Dick Enberg call games, they never made it about them. Vin Scully called games for the Dodgers for 132 years and never said the word I unless he made a mistake. If something went right, he said, well, we got that one right, or we wanted to pass along this, or earlier we told you this story. But if he made a mistake, he'd say, I made a mistake. I misidentified that player in the third inning, you know, or I thought it was a slider instead of a curveball. You know, he would always use I when he made a mistake, but we, when it was to benefit the team, you know, benefit the broadcast team. And so just listening to him and listening to Chick Hearn growing up, uh, you know, and they were wildly different people. I mean, Hearn had a big ego, but he called the game like a journalist. It wasn't about him. It was all, all the attention was focused out on the floor. Scully, same thing. All the attention focused out on the field, never about them. And to me that, that humility is lacking today because everybody now has got a brand and everybody's got a Twitter handle. And what about me? And what do I think of that? And Tony, I grew up listening to newscasters, you know, Cronkite and Brokaw and Rather, and you never knew the political persuasion of those guys. You never know what they really thought about them. They didn't report opinions. They reported news. So I kind of came up in those days when you did something and you were part of it. You weren't the biggest part. You were just adding to it, right? It's all this big stew that you mix together and hopefully the flavor is good, but you're not the ladle. You know, you're just the carrots in the stew. And I remember when, when I first started doing this up here in the Santa Cruz Valley, and I asked you if you could listen to a game that I did, and you said, sure, send it to me. And and you paid me a compliment, and you said, the best thing you do is you sound like you're just having a conversation with the play-by-play guy. And then you said, furthermore, that when you're in a game, you criticize the play, not the player. That's right. And, and I have kept those words with me since I started doing this in 2005. You know, when I was in high school, I played basketball and I shot an air ball free throw. Now I was playing on the sophomore team. There were four people in the gym. Do you have any idea how hard it was for me to go to school on Monday? I was so embarrassed. I was going to wear a, a New Orleans saints from back in the day, paper bag over my head. Right. And I got to school and I took a bunch of heat from my friends and, and then it went away. But I always thought when I'm calling a high school game, and I even do it with college, and a kid makes a terrible decision, that that kid's got to go to school on Monday. 
and he's got to hear it from his friends. And the last thing he needs is me piling on, you know, and, and that's just bullying to me. You know, you can make it, you can have fun with it. You can laugh at it. You know, we all need to be more self-deprecating anyway. So as long as you're not being taking a cheap shot at a 16 year old who, who shanks a PAT that could win the game, you know, again, and you're right. It's a phrase I use all the time. Whenever I speak to colleges to this day, criticize the play, not the player. Just remember, you know, the kid, the kids, you know, trying to get the attention of the homecoming queen. He, he doesn't want his boys to tease him when he gets to school. He doesn't want a teacher calling him out. It's hard enough to be a high school kid these days. You know, you don't need some broadcaster beating you up on regional TV in front of a couple of hundred thousand viewers. Yeah. You know, there, there may be some kids that are interested in the broadcasting field and, and my listening audience of probably 75, maybe there are some kids out there. What would you tell those kids how to get involved, how to get started. You know, you and I, are, we're in front of the camera, but there are so many jobs behind the camera. You mentioned, you know, John Hefner, Jeff Proctor, Mark Walton, all these guys that we've we've both known for for going on 30 years. Good God. I know, isn't that crazy? <laughs> but what advice would you give kids today? Don't go into broadcasting. I still need my job. There's at the end of the show. <laughs> It absolutely is. Yeah. Um, so when I started, uh, I started right at the same time as cable TV. So I got lucky because we went from five channels in, in Los Angeles to 200 channels on 15 different cable systems all over Southern California. And they all needed people to stand in front of the camera. And, you know, I started shooting. Uh, the first thing I ever did in TV was I shot a city council meeting. I was a cameraman. And I, I did an extreme close-up on the mayor and got in trouble for it. And, and so I would tell guys, look, the, what's, what's, the new, what's the new cable TV? It's the internet, right? So you have multiple opportunities. My next-door neighbor could start a podcast in 15 minutes. So the outlets are unlimited. And what you first have to do is just kind of develop a style. So start a podcast, even if nobody's listening. When I was a kid, I would take tape recorders and sit in front of the TV and call games. You don't even have to do that anymore. You take your iPhone and record yourself. You can actually go to a game. You can go to a Dodger game on a Tuesday night, sit in the left field pavilion. I'd go to right because it's all you can eat. Go to the left field pavilion. Am I interrupting you, Macy? Um, and, and sit there with your iPhone and call a game. And it doesn't even matter if you get the names right. You're just practicing. No one's ever going to hear it. And then on your way home listen to it because like all of us, you know, I was my own worst critic and I would hear things go, why do I keep using that phrase? And why haven't I given the score in five minutes? And you know, you, you self-correct a lot of things. So you need an outlet, you need experience, you need practical experience. I'll go talk to colleges, Tony, and it's unbelievable. These kids will tell me, I'll say, what do you want to do? And the guy will say, um, I want to work at ESPN. And I'll say, okay, well, what do you want to do when you get out of college? Just yeah, I want to work at ESPN. I said, what do you want to do there? I want to host Sports Center. I said, no, you don't. He said, yeah, I really do. I, it's been my lifelong dream. I said, you don't want that as a first job because you're going to blow it. You're going to say something stupid and you're going to be boom goes the dynamite on YouTube for the rest of your life. You know, that kid never became a sportscaster. So you don't want to do that. You want to start, I mean, less than nowhere. You want to start just on your iPhone where no one's going to hear it but you and you're going to race it. And and you're going to make all your mistakes that way and then start locally or start out in the weeds somewhere. And, you know, when I was coming out of college, everyone told me I was going to have to go to Pocatello, Idaho or, you know, Scotts Bluff, Nebraska. And I started in Orange County, California, where I grew up. I, I actually could walk from the house I grew up in to the first TV station that I worked at. That never happens. I, it was lightning in a bottle. I don't know how it happened, but it did. I, lucky. But it was because cable TV had started. So now it's the internet. Now the internet has replaced cable TV in terms of outlets. Anybody can do this. You can try this. Go to a high school that isn't televised and say, if you guys get a camera and I'll, I'll bring a buddy, he can shoot it and I'll call it and, and we can put it on, on the internet. You know, everybody's got a camera now. You know, you can shoot it with an iPad. You know, set up three iPads in a stadium. You can do it. It, it all boils down to this. You won't know if you can do it until you do it. And you won't know if you can do it well until you do it a lot. 
And then, like, I, I think you said to me years ago, you really need to suck in Coldwater Springs, Nebraska, before you can succeed in a big city. And, you know, when you go to those little towns, they don't expect you to be great. They don't make fun of you. They encourage you, and they, they're they happy to have you in their town. So I can't tell you how many, and I didn't have to do it, but I can't, can't tell you how many people I've talked to in broadcasting over the years that have told me they went to some dot on a map that they couldn't find before they got the phone call and the offer. And they went there thinking, oh my goodness, what am I doing here? You know, I live on the beach in California. Now I'm going to be in Arkansas somewhere. And now when they look back at that, they realize how valuable that was, how important it was. And there's a bit of longing in their voice for the people they met there. And they say, God, they were nice to me. And everybody was so good. And it was such a great experience. And it made me a more well-rounded person. And like I had talked about with my experience in Southgate, here I am, you know, immersed in a com- in a community that I didn't grow up in, had never even gotten off the freeway there to get gas. These people accepted me. I didn't look like them. I didn't sound like them. And they didn't care because I was in their town calling games, their high school football team and taking it seriously and treating them all with respect. And they did it right back to me. And, you know, and for a lot of people, that's, that's really all that matters. Yes. And I'm telling you, if I could walk down the street in Southgate and shake the hands of all those people that encouraged me and just accepted me, and I was terrible and I made terrible mistakes. And I'm sure unintentionally I offended many people and they, and they just let it go because they knew I was young and stupid and learning the trade. And if I could go there now and shake all their hands, I, you know, I'd give them all hugs from six feet apparently. Yeah. Right. <laughs> but you know, because I, even then I knew I was being accepted, but now I realize how important that they, if, if that doesn't happen, you and I aren't talking right now because you've never heard of me. And I'm selling Amway, right? Yeah. And I'm buying Amway. Yeah. Or Herbalife, I guess would be the new Amway, right? Give us a week. We'll take off the weight. (laughs) I wish. Hey, I want to ask you five quick questions before I let you go, because I think Macy's, it's Macy's bedtime. It is. Uh, Best game you ever saw, high school. Best game I ever saw. It was also the most important game. uh, 2001 Veterans Stadium. De La Salle, number one in the country, 135-game winning streak against number two in the nation, Long Beach Poly. Uh, high schools put more players in the NFL than any school in the country. First time ever in the USA Today national rankings, one and two had been on the same field at the same time. Uh, sitting in the booth with Mike Lamb, one of my good friends, former lineman at USC, calling that game with guys from NFL Films shooting us in the booth um, an author wrote a book. He's sitting next to us taking quotes from what we're saying. There's 15,000 people there. The game is carried nationally on Fox. Um, first drive of the game for for uh, De La Salle, who, by the way, came in with about a third of the number of players as Long Beach Poly, and almost all of them smaller. Uh, the, uh, Matt Gutierrez is the quarterback. He throws out in the flat to some tiny little running back who breaks a couple tackles runs down the sideline and flips into the end zone. And I yell, touchdown, Maurice Jones-Drew. Well, in those days, it was just, it was just Maurice, Maurice Drew. Drew. Yeah, he wasn't even Jones then. It was just Maurice Drew. And I'm looking, who is this kid? He's a sophomore. And De La Salle goes on to, to beat Pauly. Then they beat him the next year up in Berkeley at Cal, Strawberry Canyon. And, and they ended up winning 151 games in a row. But that game had such legs and was so historical um, that's the best actual game I ever saw, but it's not, it's not the best performance I ever saw by an individual. Well, wait, do you remember who your spotter was for that game? It was you. Yes, it was. It was you. <laughs> <laughs> I always leave that part out of my stories. I, I, I know. Well, you know, hey, most exciting finish you ever saw. I'm thinking it may be at Veterans Stadium as well. You're talking about the one from last week, the, the call that the, when Fox shows shows that game after 28 years, and I blew the touchdown call because I can't do math. That one? No, that's. Oh, I remember that. Yes, because I was spotting that game too, and I go, no, 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 it's not. I it's, know, I know. For, yeah, for, for people who don't know the story, so it's Hart and Los Al. Los Alamitos scores a touchdown to make it 1914, and I write 1914 down, and then they go for a two point conversion. So actually I had written, I just assumed they make the extra point. I wrote 2014. Then they were going to go for two and I crossed it out and wrote 19. They get the two point conversion. I didn't update my scorecard. 
So it says 1914. There's like 20 seconds left. Hart gets the kickoff. They throw an incompleted pass. Now it's three seconds left. And, you know, they need a Hail Murray. They throw it right down the middle of the field. Ball gets tipped in a kid named Cody Case, number 44. Twin fours on the back of those traveling whites for the Hart Indians from Newhall. And he catches the ball and runs 60 yards into the end zone. I look down as he's going in. I see 1914 on my score sheet. I add six to the 14. I get 2019. And I start yelling, Hart wins, Hart wins, 23 wins in a row. And then you and JJ are beating me over the head to shut up because you realize, no, idiot. They, they made a two-point conversion, and now our heart has to kick what turned out to be like a 35-yard PAT to tie the game. So, yeah, oh. not, not my finest moment. I call 600 high school football games for Fox. They invite me back for one of the throwback games, and that's the one they invite me back for where I blow the call. Um, I would tell you, I would tell you the best, the best, uh, perform is one of your questions, best performance. No, but we'll go, we'll go with that one. Matt grew to good at the big, yeah. at the big A or the big Ed in those days, I guess it was, um, modern day, uh, against Pauly. He did everything. It was like, you know, you know, it was like uh, watching a game from the twenties. He was, he was a running back and he also played line, uh, linebacker and D back. And then, uh, their kicker got hurt. And he kicked, and then the quarterback got hurt, and so he played quarterback. He never left the field. He scored all the touchdowns. He rushed for like oh, 200 yards, threw for 200 yards, was bloodied, was a total old school guy. Didn't celebrate anything. Walked off the field with his head down. I mean, he would he would sack the quarterback and get up and just walk away slowly, quietly, because that's just who he was. It was hard to get him to talk. Uh, Bruce Rollins, the modern day coach, called him the heat seeking missile. I mean, I can see him in my head right now. You could have easily put Matt Gertigan in a time machine and put him back to the in a leather helmet, and he would have been the same guy. That's just he was that kind of player. He went on and played at USC and was a good player, wasn't a star in college. Um, and I think now somebody told me he's living up in like Alaska and he's doing hunting and fishing and trapping and which makes sense. He was kind of a solitary guy anyway and understated, but that performance was just phenomenal. And that game was on a couple of weeks ago. Hey, best team you ever saw. Wow. I mean, Los Alamitos had some really good teams because they had the spread offense going before anybody else. Like it was big in college. The pros hadn't taken it. Um, only high schools that couldn't compete size-wise would do it. But John Barnes at Los Al kind of put it in. Uh, Kevin Federick, the quarterback, had Guinness and Hartley and Ife Olate at, at receivers. Um, those were some really good teams. Modern Day put out some unbelievable teams. I mean, I mean, how many guys did Modern Day send to SC and UCLA and then on to the pros, you know, with Liner and all those guys? Uh, Joey Bose back in the day, and he went to Wisconsin. Those teams, I mean, those guys, I remember being on the sideline and going, is this really a high school football team? And then you can go over when when uh, Jerry Jaso and Raul Lara and Don Norford were at Long Beach Poly, and they would come out with 110 guys on their team and huge, beautiful athletes. I mean, just you'd watch these guys run and you're like, oh my goodness, like you should hear music or angels singing when these guys run. It's 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 what a human body is supposed to look like when it's in motion. And they would go out on the football field and intimidate guys. And Long Beach Poly has such a great history in every sport. And to be around that program and the history of it, and then being watching the next chapter and the next page be written by these modern day players wearing the same jackrabbit green and gold. Um, you know, those teams you would look at and honestly, you would say, that guy's going pro. And, and it was Willie McGinnis. That guy's going pro, Winston Justice. You know, yeah. it just, you know, Darnell Bings just laying people out. You know, I, I saw Montez Perfect play in high school. Scariest player I ever saw. I mean, that guy, that guy was, was sending all state guys out of their patterns because they didn't want to go across the middle. I wouldn't either. You know, so uh, playing for Centennial. I mean, first time I saw, saw him really take a guy out of his cleats. I stopped the call because I thought the kid was seriously hurt. And the kid took 10 seconds just flat on his back to roll to his stomach and to get to one knee. And then two of his teammates scooped him up and almost dragged him like a scene from Saving Private Ryan over to the sideline. And I look back, I go, who is number seven? I mean, I mean, he, 
He played angry. It was frightening to watch him. I would wince when guys went over the middle. Your best call ever in a high school game. Vargas is gone. Sure, dude. <laughs> that's that's my other daughter, Roxy, who who had to listen to me do a podcast in the car last night and fell asleep. Yeah, um, <laughs> the the ultimate compliment. Uh, Justin Fargus is gone. Was the call on the first game, and I, you know it's not a great call. You're doing another hey, call about JJ. All right, go. Yeah, she knows JJ. <laughs> so uh, my friends at Fox have my my friends at Fox have never uh, allowed me to forget that call. Uh, because they're mocking me. Uh, but at the same time, I think it endeared me to them in some way. So that was probably my, my most important call. Uh, again, I mentioned Scully earlier. Uh, another thing I learned from listening to Scully is to lay out, you know, on a yeah. great play, you just make a simple call and let the crowd play. Um, you know, I mean, the greatest call I ever had was I got to call the beach volleyball uh, Olympics in uh, Australia in 2000. Um, Sydney, Australia Olympics. I'm at Bondi Beach, and the Americans, Eric Fanoi, Moana, and uh, Dane Blanton. Dane Blanton, another guy who worked high school football in Fox, uh, come out of nowhere after only having been a partnership for a year and earning the last spot at the Olympics. They weren't even the best American team. Each country got two. Uh, uh, Wong and Hydra were the better team. Anyway, these guys make a magical run. Through the uh, through the brackets in in Australia, and then upset the number one Australia, um, excuse me, Brazilians for the uh, uh, gold medal in front of ten thousand screaming fans at Bondi Beach, and I just yelled, "The Americans win the gold medal," and it's a very simple call. And then I laid out for forty seconds, and uh, the executives at NBC told me that it was it was a, a sign of maturity and humility that I let the moment play, and that I didn't try to be bigger than the moment, didn't try to have a signature call. I just reacted organically to it. It just came out of my mouth. And then I, I remember leaning back and Mike Dodd was my analyst and we looked at each other and he kind of went to talk. He looked at me like, should I say something? And I said, I put my finger up like, not yet, not yet. And then after about 40 seconds, I just put my hand out to him and said, it's all yours. And he said, the greatest victory in American beach volleyball history. And then we laid out again. So, you know, I, the calls I'm most proud of are the ones where I didn't overcall it. Yeah, yeah, and and I've heard that from a lot of people. I mean, you know what what did what did uh, what did Scully yell when Gibson went yard? She is gone, and that's it. And laid out. And and here's a fun fact about that. Go back and watch the highlight of that home run. And I think on the highlight, like on YouTube, it's Jack Buck with the call, right? Yeah, but if you look and you know this because you're you're a SoCal lifer, when that ball goes into the pavilion in right field, you can see right between the top of the stands and the pavilion roof, right the zigzagging roof, you can see a little slice of the parking lot. It's one of the greatest moments in the history of baseball, and yet somewhere out in the parking lot, one car was leaving early, and when you hear the call. And I've seen both the Jack Buck call and the Vin Scully call. You know, the guy in the car was listening to the radio. <laughs> so he heard Scully say, she is gone. And right then the taillights on the car flash. And Scully told me years ago, he always envisioned in his mind that there was a guy driving who turned to his wife and said, I told you we shouldn't have left early. <laughs> Well, I'm, I'm glad I got a life that would stay the whole game. Were you there? No, I was not. I was watching TV like everybody else. Yeah, yeah. Well, Jim, man, this has been great. A great walk down memory lane. It's been great catching up with you. Can I, um, can I tell I you mean, that, you know what, you know what the best thing about my stories? Some of them are true. <laughs> Faith, I, as, my, as my wife chimes in, my life is based on a true story, yes. And I, I believed all of them. <laughs> Never let the facts get in the way of a good story. No, no, man. It's been great. Now, I mean, now one of your 75 viewers will probably like do homework and find out I got a date wrong and light me up. Right, exactly. Or I pronounce something yeah, wrong. Yeah. No, man, it's all good, man. It's it's been it's been quite a ride. Um, you know, it's been it's been a pleasure having you as a friend for all these years. Uh it's been almost 30, which is crazy. <laughs> 
Well, I, you're one of the few guys I can actually say this to, but uh, I knew your wife, you know, before I knew you, and I still like her better. I know, I do too. <laughs> <laughs> your wife Donna just babysat me my first ten years in in broadcasting. Actually, pretty much all of them. Now that well, I now, now the funny thing is, is now my son Derek goes to work oh. when you're in Arizona and he works with. That's you. right, and and it's but yeah, he sat next to me last year doing uh, gymnastics, and I remember when that dude was waddling around in some huggies. Yeah. <laughs> and, and, oh and pretty pretty God. soon pretty soon he's gonna see me waddling around in some <laughs> huggies. Hey, make sure you get some new tennis balls on your walker, right? <laughs> hey, thanks thanks for doing this because I live with three women. This is the most I've got to talk ever. <laughs> no comment, man. That was great, man. Uh, we'll catch up again soon. Anytime. Look at our timing. We do an hour. How good are we? That's awesome. Thanks, brother. All right, Jim. Take care. Hey, if you like the show, please subscribe. If you've got any ideas or suggestions, let me know. Uh, email TonyMoskal at gmail.com. Twitter handle at TonyMoskal. Um, stay safe out there. Keep your social distance. And I'd like to thank Jim Watson, Fox Sports, Pac-12 Network, uh, a true professional for taking the time to join me here. Uh, until next time, have a great rest of your day. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube. You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.